Hello and welcome to MySecurity TV and our Tech and Sec Weekly. My name is Chris Coverage. I'm the Executive Editor and Director with MySecurity Media. Today we're joined by Dr. Alexei Muraviev, Associate Professor with the National Security and Strategic Studies with Curtin University. Known Alexei for some time and we could not have timed this interview uh, any better. We're going to be talking about China's support for Russia, how far does it go and the potential impacts here in Asia and Oceania. Uh, but at the time that we are going to air here and recording this uh, particular interview, uh, Putin and Russia have just commenced military operations in the Ukraine. So uh, pretty much right on topic. And uh, Dr. Miraviev will be the busiest man in Australia uh, in this context. So without further ado, Alexei, great to see you again. Great to be with you, Chris. Very good. Now, uh, there's a couple of ways we can take this. We can start commentary on sort of the live uh, activities that are on, but uh, Russia has technically invaded uh, Ukraine, has commenced military operations there. But I think we'll just take a step back. We're gonna look at uh, an article you published, China's support for Russia and how far does it go? And I think it's very live in terms of keeping this in, in uh, top of mind uh, in this regard. The article uh, and the background to China and Russia's relationship uh, what's your initial sort of broad strategic view uh, with China and Russia at the moment in, in this context uh, at the moment? Look, I mean, if we're speaking from the from the viewpoint of late February 2022, uh, we need to recognize that um, as of as of this year, Russia and China have entered a new stage in their relationship. I mean, Obviously, if you if you if you ever follow uh, Russia-China kind of dynamic, there is a lot of high-powered rhetoric. There is a lot of symbolism in their statements. There is a lot of declaratory kind of gestures they're making towards one another. But on a more serious kind of really um, a strategic level, we need to we need to recognize that the two countries spent about thirty years building their relations from from the point of being really unfriendly neighbors during the Cold War and, and, and having the situation of very similar to what Russia and Ukraine are experiencing right now when they engaged in border fights in 1969, 1970, 1971. They were on the brink of nuclear war back then. I mean, whilst Russia-US relations at the turn of the 70s was de-escalating and the two countries were entering what was later on known as the era of detente, uh, the era of gradual relaxation of tensions. In our part of the world, in the Asia Pacific, tensions between what's supposed to be ideologically aligned powers was escal escalating. But towards 1980s, this, this kind of really unfriendly, hostile relations began gradually warming up. Uh, Michael Gorbachev or Mikhail Gorbachev visited China around the time of Tiananmen Massacre. Uh, and even though China began kind of experiencing problematic relations with the West following Tiananmen, the relations with the Soviet Union began gradually sort of easing and, 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 and warming. But in, in the 1990s and certainly in 2000s, these relations met, shifted from just being neutral friendly. I don't care about what you do, but I no longer consider you to be to be my enemy, to, to keep my finger on the trigger all the time, to something more uh, cordial, something more um, gradual. And, and that was particularly evident, uh, evident in the security and defense sphere, uh, especially over the past decade when, when the Russians and the Chinese did not just 
limit there or did not just deepen the uh, bilateral cooperation to Russia transferring sensitive technologies to the Chinese military, but the Chinese military uh, were learning a lot from the Russians because, again, the Russian force, even with their uh, experiences in Chechnya, in Georgia, etc., had the common experience the Chinese don't have. Uh, China's military thought, which uh, was historically influenced by Soviet military thought, even the way how the Chinese march, they, it's all inspired by the Soviets. They, up until the early 1970s, they called the way how they march, and we all get fascinated with the way how the Chinese perfect their, their marching skills. They call it the Russian march. Uh, and obviously, when they got grumpy with the Russians, they decided to rebrand it, as, as they all do with other things. Uh, uh, but, uh, but certainly, um, uh, certainly, um, in the, over the past 15 years, uh, this, this sort of relationship moved, moved away from China just buying in bulk everything they could get their hands on in terms of dual-use technologies, advanced military technologies, to once again sending their personnel to be trained and educated in Russia, uh, taking part in joint exercises. And, and after Tiananmen, the Russian military was the only major military power with the Chinese had the opportunity to train. Just bringing it back to the, the current context, because something you've raised is uh, what Russia is doing with Ukraine is very similar or potentially you can see as a template with China and Taiwan as well. So again, and you're talking about the sharing and learning uh, and the adoption of sort of Russian military tactics and, and down to the marches. How closely do you think um, China potentially will be involved in this uh, more than just monitoring and, and uh, seeing if it works or not? Is there any defence to defence ties with China and Russia potentially in this context? Well, there are, because uh, over the past few years, the Russians uh, moved away from joint uh, exercises into joint patrols. Uh, their bombers, uh, nuclear bombers fly together uh, on, on a number of occasions. Last year, they staged their first joint maritime patrol. So it's, 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 it's sort of really moving into this almost yeah. de facto military alliance uh, modus operandi. In terms of the current crisis, and that's why I wanted to, pick, to give a background, because there is still a lot of skepticism about the, the real nature of Russia-China relations, particularly in this sensitive sphere, such as security and defense. So they really reached unprecedented levels where there is intelligence sharing, information sharing, the Russians are beefing up Chinese ballistic missile defense capabilities, and the list goes on. So arriving in 2022, the two countries have such um, uh, have gained such strategic confidence, and this is something that hasn't really uh, been reflected in, in a lot of analysis, that uh, you, you're obviously aware, Chris, of the large-scale exercises that the Russians uh, uh, concluded on 20th of uh, February in Belarus with, with their Belarusian counterparts. But the nucleus of forces that Russians massed in Belarus came from Russia's eastern military district. From um, uh, they, uh, they effectively moved the bulk of their fighting forces that are normally stationed along the Sino-Russian border into the country's western regions. This can only be done, especially since the Russians probably anticipated back then uh, a major military operation against Ukraine. That could only be done when you have complete confidence and trust in your neighbor. So even though we cannot expect the Chinese joining the fight uh, in Ukraine alongside with the Russians, and I don't think the Russians have expected that, the Chinese by default provided the Russia 
the Russians with opportunity to maximize the, stand, uh, the use of their standing force instead of keeping significant chunk of it to the east of the Ural Mountains along the Sina, uh, Sina Russian border. They, they kind of allow, uh, they kind of moved it across. I think also with an agreement that the Chinese will continue to guard that frontier and watch Russia's, Russia's back. So that, that in, 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 it's almost like in kind indirect military support coming from the Chinese with the fact that um, uh, the Russians managed to strip their border with, um, uh, with, with, uh, with Beijing. Um, also politically, the fact that the Russians signed a joint statement on, on the opening day of the Winter Olympics. It's all about Winter Olympics. Yeah. Um, it waited. It's only just finished, what, less than a week ago, really. So uh, the Winter Olympics was certainly a, a catalyst, right? Well, it, it, it was. And, 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 and again, very, very symbolic because Xi Jinping uh, attended uh, Winter Olympics in Sochi and we know what happened on the Winter Olympics in Sochi. So Putin was guest of honor of, uh, of uh, Beijing Winter Olympics. So uh, the signing of the joint declaration allowed Russia to secure China's political support with regards to NATO. China, in return, got, got, received Russia's support with regards to Taiwan, as well as the AUKUS, which will really be of direct yeah. uh, relevance uh, to us. So, plus the economic deal that the Russians and the Chinese have signed, worth of about 117 and a half US billion um, um, uh, in terms of Russia supplying fossil fuels to China over the next 10 or 15 years, in addition to what already they've been selling. So the Russians were kind of protecting themselves economically from what they would um, envisage to be inevitable Western reaction, which are they receiving uh, right now. Uh, so in, in, in this sense, they, they kind of really got this China back, also which allowed Putin now to say that you know, you're saying we're isolated? Sorry, you know, we've got this big brother sitting across the border talking to us, feeling really relaxed about us. We also have other, other countries like India, um, uh, members of um, uh, Southeast Asian community, African nations, whole bunch of uh, uh, allied nations uh, of Russia in Central and, and, and Southern America, when Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela began effectively recognizing uh, Russia's jurisdiction or um, uh, the independence of the Luhansk and Donetsk regions. Well, this is this is all the fruition of Russia's work that they were undertaken over the past years. But obviously, having China as a backup gives Russia extra confidence in managing the current crisis with the way how it it was unable to do back uh, in two thousand and eight when Russia took on Georgia. And obviously, it gives China some additional confidence with Taiwan, knowing that it has a strategic partner that also has it back. Do you think the timing uh, will be influenced here? They have to really have to wait for the outcomes of what happens in Ukraine before uh, sort of Taiwan comes on. Do you think it changes the timeline for Taiwan at all? Look, I mean, if I would be a planner in Pentagon, and I'm sure the very smart guys there are thinking this right now, as well as in Russell offices in Canberra and elsewhere, I would actually be concerned if China wants to take advantage of the current, um, uh, of the current state of hostilities in Europe and the fact that the United States will be compelled to watch and, and have an oversight of these dramatic developments that are folding right now on the shores of the Black Sea and uh, over steps of, of Ukraine. And we'll try to do something here because the Ukrainian crisis prior to the, to the launch of the Russian offensive 
have effectively demonstrated something that many experts and analysts were predicting for a long time, that the United States reached its capacity, that its resources are severely overstretched when the United States were trying to retain its status as the, as the superior um, a global uh, superpower, the fact that they have committed so much resources in trying to deter against the Chinese and balance against the Chinese whilst offering security guarantees to uh, its vast uh, um, uh, network of clients and friends across different parts of the world. The fact that they couldn't commit any substantial resources to, to mitigating any security risks to NATO members, leave alone, forget about Ukraine. When, when, when you hear reports that the United States would deploy additional 8,000 troops to Europe, well, security and defense experts would know that 8,000 troops is the size of a brigade, which may have impressed, uh, you know, uh, Libya's uh, regime under Myanmar, Gaddafi, or um, uh, Iraqi regime under Saddam Hussein. But when it comes to talking, uh, uh, when, when it comes to balancing against Mother Russia with its massive army, and technologically superior army, well, this is this is really peanuts. And the fact that the Americans now have committed maneuvering about 800 of their personnel from Romania to the Baltic states, again, you know, for the Russians, they will say, so what? But that's, that's an illustration on how much the Americans can actually spend in protecting uh, their, and, 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 and shielding their primary NATO allies, um, uh, which are in close proximity to Russia. So, Obviously, the smart cookies in Beijing could also figure this out and they may be thinking, well, perhaps this is an ideal time for us to make a move because the United States won't be able to handle two major contingencies perpetrated by two major military powers, two nuclear powers simultaneously in two different theaters of operation. Yeah. So I would seriously be concerned about what China may do either vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan or in South China Sea or any other part of the Indo-Pacific by simply taking advantage of Russia's actions in Ukraine. Well, you've also raised that later this year, the Chinese Communist Party will hold its 20th Party Congress again, which is uh, a very a significant uh, aspect of the timeline. You know, if you think about so these significant events and, and how China thinks strategically like that under Xi's leadership. Do you think, again, that kind of uh, symbolic uh, aspect to this plays out, that uh, they want these types of developments made? And I suppose the other one is the key timelines on how quickly this can potentially happen, uh, the how quick this military operation can, can execute in, in Ukraine. Because if it's a long extended uh, timeline, then that might put some opportunity in front of China. Uh, but if it's going to be quick and sudden, then maybe that opportunity might not be there. How quickly would, should this potentially be over? Or do you think it could be protracted? Look, I think Putin would certainly be interested in a swift campaign that would uh, see uh, minimal casualties on Russia's part, as well as minimal casualties on the Ukrainian part. Uh, as someone of Slavic background, as someone of Russian background, I can certainly tell you Putin uh, will not be remembered well if he is going to be remembered as the, as the butcher of the Slavs. That won't go down well, not just with the Ukrainians, but also with the Russians, because there is still a massive sympathetic sentiment that exists uh, in person-to-person uh, uh, -person relations on both sides of, 
of the conflict simply because of centuries of uh, integration and 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 and, and collaboration and suddenly this interconnectivity that is go, goes almost like at the genetic the genetic level so for him successful operation ideally with minimal fatalities uh, uh, crashing the Ukrainian resistance or perhaps even submitting them into some sort of political negotiations on his term, leave alone surrender, would be would be something that he would be uh, very keen to achieve. A war of attrition is not something that he wants to do because then, then there's going to be a problem with securing popular support at home as well as as well as selling Russia's image as a as a um, as an effective superpower because he wouldn't want to have the same sort of bad reputation as what the United States gained uh, when they got out of Afghanistan. Uh, he wants to basically demonstrate, well, we're not the Americans, we do it differently and in fact we can achieve success because he was able to demonstrate it in Syria and obviously if he will be able to demonstrate it in um, um, in Ukraine then it would be like a massive bonus to, to, to Russia outside of the Western world. As for the Chinese, uh, there are two points that need to be remembered. Uh, again, it may be really surprising, but Putin is incredibly popular in China. He is the most popular and respected foreign leader outside of, the, of their own beloved uh, party leadership. So for Xi, for Xi to have Putin's blessing and support is really important. Yes, it may sound really surprising. We may be thinking that China will be looking at Russia as a um, uh, uh, older brother looking at the junior partner, but there is a lot that Chinese still look up to the Russians too. And certainly Xi wants to have Putin's support uh, because he is facing his own internal opposition because of the way how he grabbed and maintained power. So if, 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 if Putin will come out of the current uh, Ukraine's um, contingency and drama victorious, that would increase uh, Xi's appeal in the, in the eyes of his own people. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I'm pretty sure the the Chinese and and certainly PLA command is uh, is is holding. Um, and, I mean, are going to have sleepless nights because they're going to sit down and and, and look at every uh, every monitor, every screen uh, with their jaws dropped, taking notes of everything the Russians are doing because they want to learn. They want to see how this can be applied in the context of their management of. Um, uh, of uh, Taiwan and any other contingency. If the Russians can achieve swift response, that may be a positive signal to the Chinese. Um, if the Russians will, will gain uh, uh, themselves or get themselves into the problem of a protracted campaign, that may also be a massive learning lesson for the Chinese. Mm. If the Russians I will drag it in Ukraine, the Chinese may actually have start having secondary thoughts about Taiwan because they don't have the same operational experience as the Russians. They don't yeah. have the same combat, well, they don't have any combat experience for starters. So Russia's success will be China's success. Russia's failure would also be an effective deterrence for the Chinese future coercive actions. And regardless, there's going to be learning outcomes for everybody, I would imagine, as well. Look, one last final comment, and thank you for your time. I appreciate time is limited. Uh, where does this potentially put India in the context here it's quite a quite unique uh situation given its its historic relationship with with russia it's been a bit silent in this particular conflict it's obviously on border conflict with china and then as part of the quad so 
is is India one to watch, or do you think it's just going to stay silent simply because it's been conflicted? Look, India is not just part of the court. India is also part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and we tend to kind of forget that that yeah. element. Russia invested a lot of energy in rebuilding their relations with India. There was a historic visit by Putin back in December, and I'm sure there was a lot of interesting discussions and talks that happened between him and, and Modi. Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov had uh, held uh, discussions with his Indian art, uh, counterparts just uh, last week or in, in the past five, seven or ten days. So the Russians obviously want India on the, on their side. They don't expect that India will support everything the Russians are doing, but they understand India will come now under really serious pressure from the from the United States. I'm sure Canberra will be talking to New Delhi in 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 trying for New Delhi to condemn Russia's actions in Ukraine because prior to that India was very cautious about how they were describing Russia's interference in Ukraine. They did not condemn Russia's annexation of Crimea. In fact, they came actually came out and saying Russia had legitimate reasons to be in Crimea. Um, in 2015, India sent their military unit to parade um, uh, on Red Square during Russia's Victory Day celebrations for the first time in, in, in history. So if India will continue to remain this kind of balanced approach, yes, we may not like what the Russians are doing, but they've been now a trusted partners and friends for decades and we're not prepared to compromise it. That would give Putin additional uh, um, um, uh, space for geopolitical maneuver. If India will come out and, 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 and state something really uh, uh, categorical about Russia's actions, well, on one hand, Russia may feel more isolated and, and less secure. But on the other hand, I think the Indians may also be thinking twice about this because they will understand that that may also be the final tipping point that would allow Beijing and Moscow to cement a formal military alliance. And I don't think the Indians want to go down that path, just like uh, our allies in Washington and Brussels don't want to see this outcome occurring as well. So India is certainly the one to watch and India's position would be almost like a litmus test on the way how yeah. The world, not just the Western civilization or Western members, um, will will now react to this uh, uh, change in strategic circumstances. Well, look, Alexa, I think you've underlined the significance of what we're seeing uh, today uh, and what we have been observing and also uh, the reliance now on the outcome of what we're seeing, particularly here in Asia-Pacific or Indo-Pacific, depending on which way you want to look at it but it will have uh, impacts uh, and ramifications around the world. So Associate Professor Alexei Muraviev in Perth, uh, the National Security and Strategic Studies with Curtin University. Thank you very much for joining us today and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks very much, Chris, for having me.